information is great for some things, but it also has its limitations. So it's a great way of expanding your horizons about what's possible. It's a great way of integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. But it's not very good for developing competence. We don't get good at things by reading books or watching videos. I'm your host, Anemalikian. And before we start with today's show, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. Today, our special guest is Danny Ini. He enjoys popular science books, likes to write with a good pen, and is the founder and CEO of Miracy, a business education company where he and his team has raised the bar for online education. And today we are going to be speaking about online learning in this post-COVID-19 world. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Danny. Anna, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And you are passionate about learning and education reform. Can you tell us where this passion started? Yeah, so I, I've had a, a love-hate relationship with formal education for basically my whole life. I was, um, you know, as a kid growing up, I was the nerdy goody-two-shoes teacher's pet. That was me. I was that kid. And that went on um, until about the end of the eighth grade. Then in the ninth grade, it was like a switch flipped in my head. I'm sitting there in class and I'm just this is so boring. I can't take it anymore. And so I cut a few classes and I came back a few days later and I'm sitting in class and I'm like, they're still talking about the exact same thing. And so I started cutting more classes and I, I'm, I'm an extreme person. I don't do anything halfway. And so in that first trimester, I missed 152 classes and the number just went up from there. And that went on for a year and a half or so. And one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, Danny, what are you doing? Like, what's the plan here? Are you just going to keep cutting classes and going to the gym and watching MTV? Because, you know, this was the 90s. I remember those days. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's make it official. I'm going to quit school and I'm going to start a business. And, you know, this was a really interesting kind of contrast for me because I've always believed very strongly in the power and value of education and self-learning and exploration. And I, I love to read and I've always loved to read. And at the same time, I always felt um, bored to different degrees, depending on how much my teachers were willing to let me color outside the lines, essentially, mm -hmm. um, in formal education. And, you know, with the perspective I have now looking back, I'm like, people imagine that, you know, there's a normal distribution of, of people like a bell curve and mm -hmm you know, formal structured education is good for, you know, two standard deviations from the mean. And what I've come to really believe is that, no, it's like, it's optimized for like the, the bang on middle of that bell curve. And if you deviate even a tiny bit, it's no longer a good fit. I think, I think it's a, it's not a good fit for more people than it is a good fit for. Yeah. And that makes you a very interesting person at this level. You, uh, 
because you love learning, absolutely love learning uh, where you really are uh, in a mission is to reform how learning is uh, done or I, I really facilitate. Am. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can call you an education disruptor. Uh, from that perspective, how do you define learning? So whereas education is about the the creation of a structure and context to kind of, you know, almost pour knowledge and expertise into somebody else, learning is about having that spark in you that you allow your environment to feed, right? So education is something that is like done to other people to some degree. Learning is, is just about always self-directed. And it's about maintaining curiosity and exploring and connecting the dots between what you already know and what you are trying to learn and expanding that horizon of what's within your realm of ability to, to imagine and dream and understand. And it's the most wonderful thing that we do as humans. I absolutely agree. And I remember several years ago in my coaching training, uh, one of the exercises that we did was in terms of core values. And one of the core values that emerged for me was learning. Because really, if you tell me, you cannot learn anything from now on to the future. I, what is the point of being here, honestly? So, and the question becomes, what are the best ways of learning? What are the best ways for us to facilitate learning in other people that have that spark that want to learn more too? Well, the way I've learned to look at it, um, no pun intended, th there are three steps on a learning journey. And the first step is the consumption of information. That's where you, you know, listen to the audio, watch the video, read the text, attend the lecture. And information is great for some things, but it also has its limitations. So it's a great way of expanding your horizons about what's possible. It's a great way of integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. But it's not very good for developing competence. We don't get good at things by reading books or watching videos. And so for that, we move on to the second step, which is application, taking what we've learned and doing something with it. And that application can be theoretical, like exercises and worksheets, or it can be very practical, doing things in our businesses and in our lives. And of course, when we do that, when we apply our new learning, we're going to get some of it right and we're going to get some of it wrong. And the difference between a beginner and an expert is partially the muscle memory to do it right because, you know, you've, you've found those patterns, but also the discernment to know what makes the difference. And so the third piece in that process is the feedback that allows us to refine and integrate that knowledge. And there's always going to be some feedback from the environment. But it's usually very brute force, right? If I, if I want to take up skateboarding, I can get feedback from gravity and concrete, but it's not going to be very pleasant or very nuanced. And so the role of a teacher, a coach, a curriculum, a structure can make that feedback much more directed, much more timely, and much more insightful and helpful. Love these. And, and I'm essentially paraphrasing the, the structure of mastery learning, which is, is not new, but this approach is one that A, is not applied nearly as much as it should be, given how robust it is in terms of support by research, in terms of this is how we learn. And also, just it, it helps people get their head around it, is what I found. And um, how do you say, uh, it's simple, how do you say, but uh, being simple doesn't mean that, or 
uh, apply in the usual way because I think we have a fascination in terms of for the information to learn things, just the content and even to provide the content. And uh, if we think about the TEDx movement and the TED Talks, is a lot of providing new ideas, new thoughts, new way of thinking. That is amazing. It's wonderful. It's energizing and is not enough if we want to do lasting change. Well, it just serves different purposes, right? A TED Talk is a great way of inspiring you to pursuing a plan of action. It's a great way of inspiring you to say, I want to look into this more deeply. I want to pursue this path. I want to develop these skills. We don't develop the skills from watching the TED Talk. Then it's the insight. It's not enough. Then we have to, like you were saying, step to the application of it. I like to call it implementation. Mm -hmm. We have to implement. And then with that third step that you are speaking about, looking to the results of the implementation of the application and what can we improve, what we can learn from it and evolve from there. So what what do you think, uh, uh, because uh, you are in the online world um, and your company really focus on walking their talk about the learning and giving excellent information, but also helping the application and the feedback. Uh, but what do you see that is changed uh, with these crazy COVID years that took everybody? This was like two years that uh, was life changing, to say the least. Well, I think, I mean, COVID has changed a lot of things for a lot of people in a lot of ways, but in the context of online courses and online learning, COVID has really accelerated a lot of trends that were already beginning to happen. You know, there's um, there, there's the, the technology and innovation adoption curve, uh, the diffusion of innovations that was developed by Everett Rogers in, I want to say, the 70s. And we've all heard of this, the bell curve with innovators and early adopters and the early majority, et cetera. And it charts how innovations make their way into a society. And that's exactly the pattern we've been seeing with online courses, right? Online courses started to be something for, you know, people who are these crazy innovators. Then it became something for early adopters who like to be on the leading edge, but not the bleeding edge. And coming into COVID, we were kind of at a place where it was just starting to tip into the early majority. And that transition takes a whole bunch of time. Because, you know, the early majority thinks differently than the innovators. The innovators are like, I want to go after something that is a cool new opportunity. I'm interested in the upside. The early majority, which is most people, um, they're like, I want to do something that I know works. And so, you know, before I jump in, show me other people like me who have done this. And the like me is important because, you know, people who are peddling innovation like to say, well, look at all these innovators who are doing it. And the regular buyers say, yeah, but those people are crazy. They'll try anything. (laughs) And so show me someone like me. And that's why that process of adoption can take a lot of time. Well, what COVID did was basically say, hey, I know you may not be comfortable with online learning yet. I I know you may want to spend five or 10 years really warming up to this, but you know what? Everybody gets shoved into the deep end of the swimming pool. And there were a lot of reasons why people objected to the idea of online courses. Some of them were legitimate, right? There are some things that are better in an online environment. You know, my daughter turned five a little bit after the pandemic began. And so she had a Zoom birthday party. And you know what? It was not as good as an in-person birthday party. We are looking forward to holding in-person birthday parties again, because it's just not as good. But there are also a lot of things that actually does better. 
right? Oh yeah, you're you're right. I don't have to get on a plane just to sit in a in a room with this person. I can build a relationship online. We can have a conversation. Zoom is great for that. It actually is better. It saves me a lot of time. I like that I'm not constrained to showing up at this place at this time, but I can listen to the content anytime at my convenience. And so people were forced to overcome the legitimate challenges and learn how to do things well and innovate. And all the things that were actually better, they were like, oh, wow, this, this is actually better. And it might have taken me years to get on board with trying this. But now that I've tried it, hey, this is actually pretty good. And so COVID just accelerated everything dramatically. It also showcased a lot of the weaknesses of, um, let's call it sloppy online learning implementation and execution. And there's no judgment there about the people who are scrambling to create an online learning experience when they didn't have the experience or the skills or the tools to do that. And, and I applaud the hard work that a lot of people did to innovate on very short notice. But the reality is that when you do anything for the first time, your results are going to be only so-so for the most part. And so we saw a lot of online learning contexts that just weren't very good. They weren't great. And some people have taken that to be an indictment of, oh, online learning doesn't work. And it's like, no, lousy online learning doesn't work in much the same way that lousy in-person learning doesn't work. But we've been doing in-person learning for thousands of years. And so even when it's lousy, we've learned to kind of work around those deficiencies. And we're, we've, we've had to learn how to do that with online learning very, very quickly through COVID. And so it's been a, it's been a massive acceleration. Yeah. And I think the same dynamic that happens in the classroom, in-person apps, happens in, in the online learning tool or teaching because it's the emphasis on that first step of the information. If I give information, everything else happens. And the, the good teachers know the importance of the application, of the feedback, of creating uh, experiential uh, kind of interactions. That also can be created in online. It's just a different medium. Well, I think that was exactly the challenge. So in person, the bad teachers just lecture at the kids or adults. And the good teachers know to create that experience. Well, going online, the bad teachers just did what they always did. And the good teachers were scrambling to just deliver the information. And so in that sense, there was a compromising of this quality-rich experience. But you can absolutely do these things online. There are things you can do actually a lot better online. And, and you know, and it, if we could divide the pandemic into two years, in the first year, we saw everyone scramble and the second year, we saw a lot of people start to really shine and thrive in how to do it really well. And what are the lessons learned? What do you think that is the future for learning for, from education to the online world to adult education? Well, so one of the things that has stuck with me that I actually don't see talked about as much as I think it should is that there are different phases of the consumption of educational material, different modes you want to be in. Um, I actually read an article a few years ago by Dan Pink, and he was talking about this in the context of entertainment. So he was saying how there is entertainment content that he watches on what he called an interstitial basis, meaning if he's standing in line at the bank, he's got 10 minutes, he'll listen to 10 minutes of the podcast. If he's you know, sitting in the taxi, he's waiting, he might like watch five minutes of this video. So bits and pieces, you know, in between other things. But then there are shows that he watches where he's only going to watch it if he's at home on his couch with his phone off with his wife next to him with a bucket of popcorn, and they're fully focused. And he called that intentional consumption. Hmm. 
And in the context of a learning experience, right, we imagine because our, our frame of reference is a classroom that it all has to be intentional, but actually it doesn't. You know, a lot of that consumption portion where we're absorbing the information, listen to the lecture while you're going for your run, while you're going for your walk. Listen to it twice or three times, the stuff that you want to review and are stuck by, right? But by allowing people to consume the information on an interstitial basis, it creates a lot more flexibility and freedom in their lives to then apply that intentional focus to the stuff that actually requires it, the part where they're doing the exercises, and doing the work and trying to puzzle out the details. And I, I think that's a really big potential unlock that a lot of uh, a lot of course creators are just starting to approach. And interesting enough, if we think, I, I presume that you are familiar with the uh, CAN Academy, K-H-A-N Academy, because that was one of the principles of using, start online, but was using the video time, the online time to teach the concept and then have the, the school time or the interaction time with a teacher that could be online to go deep to to that application and feedback. Yeah, well, I mean, Khan Academy is like the perfect incarnation of the concept of a flipped classroom, right? Whereas in a lot of traditional classroom settings, the teacher is essentially a very expensive, I mean, not that expensive because teachers are not paid nearly as much as they should be, but a very expensive tape recorder, right? Yes. Repeating the same lecture again and again. And, you know, star teachers at, at big name schools like they're basically entertainers, right? They're putting on a show and it's great that they can do that. But if it's the same show every year for every class, why, why do we have 2000 people teaching psych 101 and delivering that same performance with different levels of skill and ability? Why not have the very best one deliver that session? Maybe even live. It doesn't have to be pre-recorded, but you know, they deliver it every year for the first time. Again, it's recorded. People can go through it at their convenience, but then use the precious time of those 2000 teachers to have discussions with the students after they've watched the videos, after they've reviewed, after they've looked at the content and said, here's what I'm trying to understand better. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I need help to understand. And that's where there's an opportunity for that individual connection to really shine. So it's that master class concept. You have the best of the best doing that uh, um, education of the information in an entertaining way that is captivating, that opens our possibilities in so many ways, and then complement that with smaller groups, smaller interaction with somebody that can help us in the application of it, the implementation of it, and getting direct feedback that is so important. Well, it's just recognizing that there are two very different tasks that go into supporting a student to learn. There's the role of presenter and there's the role of tutor. And in a lot of educational settings, they're just mushed together and you're expecting the same person to do both of those things or both of those things plus research as well. But they're different skills and different people will do them very well. I mean, you know, for for the lectures, let's take this to the nth degree. I mean, Hollywood should be producing our, (laughs) our learning videos, our trainings, because they know how to make something fascinating and engaging and riveting. This is their core skill set. Let the teachers focus on working one-on-one with the students and helping them do amazingly well. I love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, And because the teaching and the the tutoring of being next to the student or next to the person that is learning, the learner, 
so important because uh, I know that uh, from previous conversations, a concept that you also like is the zone of proximal learning um, that comes from psychology. And I'm not, I think we spoke, uh, you are familiar with the zone of proximal development. I think I heard you speak about this. So th this is a concept that comes from a Russian developmental psychologist named Lev Vygotsky and developed it maybe 100 years ago. And the, the basic idea is that anything you try to do can be plotted on a spectrum from easy to hard. And depending on your level of skill, your the limit of your ability might be on the easy end or it might be on the hard end. But you know, somewhere along that spectrum is the limit to your ability. And just beyond that, You've got this little range where this is like outside of your comfort zone, but if you have the right support and guidance of a teacher, you can still thrive. And by operating in that zone with that support and guidance, that's how you actually expand your abilities. And this is a concept that I find fascinating, inspiring, and it's it's part of the lexicon within my organization. We talk about it all the time. It's like, oh, this is a ZPD activity for me. And like, that's great. Yeah, because it's there where we need the tutor to help us or the coach to help us uh, thrive in that uncomfort and really uh, do the big leaps there. Yeah, I mean, coaches love to talk about, oh, you've got to go beyond your comfort zone, and, and they're right, but they don't talk about, but what does it take to succeed beyond your comfort zone, right? It's it's out of your comfort zone for a reason. Yeah, and uh, but with support, we can explore that even more. Exactly. So how, because most of the people listening to to this podcast are listening for personal development. There are also people um, listening to think, how can I apply this in organizations? Uh, but let's start with the personal development uh, um, dimension here. How do we apply these phases to personal development where what we are learning are personal development stuff? Well, anything that we might want to learn, right? In a best case scenario, we find a teacher who understands these processes. And so they're going to take them, take us through these steps, right? You, if you, if someone says, I want to learn how to build and sell online courses and they sign up for, for my program on that, I will take them through, you know, they will learn the information. They will have an opportunity to apply. They'll get the feedback. It's all built in. But not every instructor knows that. And so you might be very motivated to learn and grow in whatever area. And the best resources you find may not be structured in that way. Well, you can be proactive in saying, okay, so there's great information here. How will I apply it? How will I get the feedback as to whether I'm doing it right? And if you get creative, you can build some of those structures into your own learning journey that you can, you can self-develop. So as a consumer of the information, let's speak about personal development. There are excellent books. There are excellent TED Talks to go back to the TED Talks that we can consume the information that way, but then having, for instance, a coach that can help us navigate the application of it and get feedback or a group of peers or some that will help us. So we can be the, the ones engineering the best conditions for learning and developing. Yeah, so, so here's a for example, right? So Johan Harry has a great book out called Stolen Focus about how the combination of technology acceleration of the world around us in general and a bunch of other things are just making it very hard for us to focus and concentrate and live both happy and productive and effective lives. It's a great book. Now, reading the book will be interesting and it might give you some ideas, but it's not going to dramatically change your ability to focus because it's a book. That's not what it's supposed to do. 
But you can say, I'm reading this book for entertainment, and that's great. Or you can say, I'm reading this book explicitly as a personal development pursuit. In which case, at the end of every chapter, you might ask yourself, okay, what are the actionable ideas? And how might I put them into practice? Right? What might I try? And then what kind of feedback mechanisms could I put in place? Let's say, for example, he talks about um, limiting time on your device, right? not taking your device with you to bed, not reaching for your device 100 times a day. And so you might say, this is something I'm going to do. It's something I'm going to try. Well, maybe I need to keep track of how often I'm doing this. Maybe I need to build a feedback mechanism. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a real life example for myself, right? You know, I, we all have our ways of wasting time <laughs> online. And for me, they typically fall into two buckets. When I find that I'm procrastinating or just tired, I'll start watching videos on YouTube to kill time. Or I'll dip into my email or my Slack and it's like, okay, let's see what's going on in there. And they're both, they tend to be distractions. And so I was like, all right, I know that I want to limit that. How can I put that into practice? What feedback loop can I create? And so I started doing, I call it um, an exercise ladder. So the first time in the day that I open up YouTube or my inbox, I have to do five sit-ups. <laughs> I like and that. the second time I have to do 10. And the third time I have to do 15. And, you know, somewhere around the sixth or seventh time, which, you know, throughout the whole day is not too bad. I'm like, you know, do I really want to do 40 <laughs> sit-ups? Just No, it's not worth it. <laughs> I think I'm done. I love that because for the emails, I have a little add-on called the I, the inbox. And, and for the phone, I keep it away um, from my room. Uh, the bedroom is in the bathroom it's just to avoid that temptation to immediately to be an impulse and not a decision. Mm -hmm. But let me just go a moment, okay, for the organization. If we are thinking about the organization that wants to provide the best learning context possible, how, and this is something that you have to think a lot and you put a lot of thought behind because you are an organization, you lead an organization that is a business education company. But how... Because the scaling, the, the big thing about how do you scale the implementation and they help with the implementation and the feedback? Well, in my experience, the, the challenge isn't the scaling per se. The challenge is the intentionality. It's the expectation that, oh, this should just take care of itself. And it doesn't, right? If you want to provide great education to your employees, to your team, you need to either work with vendors who have that experience really dialed in or you need to designate someone internally with that experience and training who has that expertise, right? And, you know, anything that you, that you care about and believe in, you resource it appropriately. And that's really what this comes down to. Because the knowledge that, uh, is there is the, and the people that know the know-how is there, you just make an intention of uh, doing it and uh, implementing it. Well, I mean, they're there in the world. They may or may not be there in the organization, but the intentionality might lead you to say, okay, we need to hire someone to be in charge of this. That reminds me of something that I will put in the show notes because you have the Google talk, the talk that you gave to the Google that was about learning. And you gave that beautiful example of the uh, Yoda. The, the, when, can, mm -hmm. the, can you tell that story? Because I think that story is really fantastic. Yeah, so so the, the the point that I was driving home is the idea from William Gibson that the future is here, just not evenly distributed. So what does that mean? Well, the story is that a few years ago, I was um, traveling, 
you know, from one place to the other. I had a layover somewhere. I was connecting through through an airport. I had a few hours to kill. And so, you know, what do you do when you're killing time in an airport? You wander around, you pace. And I pass by a Brookstone store. It's one of those stores with these cool gadgets. And I see a Yoda doll. It's standing like a foot and a half high or something. It's on a table right in front of me. And it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty lifelike. So I, I approach because I'm just curious. And it moves. It looks at me. It opens its eyes and it speaks. It says, teach you to use the force. I will. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> and it continues. It says, stretch out your arm. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I kind of lift my arm in front of me. And the Yoda doll kind of like gets pushed back. Like I pushed it with the force. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. And my next thought is I think I need to buy one of these. And then my thought after that was, no, I think that's stupid. It wouldn't fit in my suitcase. And my wife would think it's really dumb. So I guess I won't do that. But I was like, okay, this is really cool. I was thrilled. You know, the, the experience obviously stuck with me. So I continue walking. And a couple of minutes later, I step into the men's room and I walk in and I see a row of men standing in front of a row of sinks, <laughs> waving their arms wildly, trying to get the, the motion-activated faucet to release some water. And so that's what it means that the future is here. It's not evenly distributed. Clearly, the technology exists to do this very, very well, but it hasn't made its way into every context yet. But it will, right? The, the nature of innovation is that it starts in little pockets and then it spreads and you know, it, it, it's like, it's it's very slow and then it's all at once. And that is, I think, your mission that you are doing in the online world. You know a lot more than many people and you know what works. You, you are there, the future is there, and you are in a mission of really spreading it out, distributing it more even to anybody that listens. Yes. And, and particular, particularly to, you know, I work with coaches and consultants and expertise-based entrepreneurs to help them package their knowledge and expertise into the sort of hybrid online course that will deliver that transformation for others. So it multiplies their impact, but also creates a scalable, leveraged, profitable engine within their business as well. Love it. So where do people can learn more about you and this amazing work you are doing? Well, it depends what they like to consume in terms of modality. So if they like to listen, which I'm presuming they do because we're, you know, we're on the podcast. <laughs> um, well, I co-host a show called Course Lab where my co-host and I interview every week someone who's doing something really interesting with their online course, either the business model or the learning design. And so that's a great way to find me. You can search for Course Lab on your favorite podcast app. If you like to read, then search my name on Amazon and you can look for books like Teacher Gift or Online Courses or Effortless. And if you're just looking for information, um, you can go to miracy.com and there's a ton of great free information and training on our website. Love it. And I will make sure that all of these links goes underneath in the show notes. So Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this conversation and because uh, I'm also passionate about learning and I think it's like something that most people have that curiosity, that spark to learn and just create the conditions for it to really to shine. Well, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. 
There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. Thank you.